0: I'm excited to continue a four-week teaching series called The Cost. little quick review. Last week we talked about following Christ costs us something. Salvation costs us nothing. It's entirely free. But to follow him then costs us our very life. Galatians 2.20, for I've died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God. That we're going to have to give up our lives, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, the two greatest commandments. This week, I want to look at an additional cost. and In particular, we're going to be talking about the local church and Christian community and how that makes an impact in your life. I don't know what the greatest team you've ever been a part of was, and I don't know, did your team win yesterday, by the way? No, no, yes, one. That's great. You know, I'm not going to get into the details because some of you get offended when I talk about it too much when your team loses. But you know what it's like when your team wins, right? It's amazing. You feel like a part of it. It's an incredible experience. I know I talk about uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish a lot because the Lord prompts me to do so. An evangelist for the team. But I, uh, I, I, I talk about it because I love watching it. But it's not the greatest team in the world. you're like, what is the greatest team in the world? It was my seventh grade basketball team. (laughs) Hands down. Uh, In fact, I remember that year we worked really hard. We got a lot better and we made it all the way to the county championship game. And in the little town I grew up in, in Indiana, some of you think I'm from California. No, I just lived there for seven years, met my wife there. I'm from a small town in Randolph County, Indiana. And That particular year, in seventh grade, we won the county tournament, baby. Knocked out, thank you. One light applause there. No one's very excited. You should be excited. It was a great achievement. It's the highlight of my life right there. But I remember at that time, like, coming home, they had, like, the, the fire engine leading and the police cars leading us into town on the bus. Everybody's cheering. I remember that for the rest of my life. When you're a part of a great team, you have this bond that surpasses every issue that you have with each other. I want to tell you, you know this, but biblically speaking, in the New Testament, the hope of humankind, the greatest team in the world, the greatest form of community is the local church. But local church does not mean just a larger worship gathering like this. It's the community on mission that you find in the homes of in our workplaces, throughout the week. I'm going to unashamedly promote our Outpost Network this morning. Because if you're here and you're a part of the hundreds of new people who have been a part of the Carmel Church alone in the last year and a half, not only do we welcome you, I want to invite you to get involved and connected to other living, breathing human beings. And the first step for that, after you've been to the first step class, is to go to Rooted. And Rooted kicks off again in January. It's a 10-week small group discipleship experience. If you can't be there on Wednesday night, let us know. We'll find a different night of the week. You can sign up for it in the lobby today. But hundreds and hundreds of you have been through Rooted and are a part of this local church, but have not found real community beyond Sunday services. And I want to challenge you today To find that community in our outpost network. And in particular, if you look at the back of this card this morning, there are three different versions of outposts, and the one really focused on providing long term spiritual community is the microchurch. And and if you don't know what that means or what it looks like, you don't have to. All you do, if you get your little phone out, or your big phone, if you got a big phone, and take a photo, like hold your camera up, actually, to that, that little QR code and click the link. You can go and fill out a very simple form. we will give you more information about micro churches and our outpost network because that, for us as a family on mission, is where you're going to find long-term community. I want to talk about that long-term community because it's super important. In fact, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Here's how important loving each other is. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The way that people in the world, in our society and community, culture, sees that we're actually disciples, learners of the ways of Jesus, is how we love each other. To have real community where you can be honest about what your life is like, the problems that you got, the issues in your marriage, the issue in your, with your kids, the issue with your parents or your grandkids, the struggles that you're enduring, the addictive habits that you've developed, the, the, the questions theologically or biblically that you have, the place that you can get those answered are in our microchurch communities. And if you're not a part of one, and this is your church home, I want to challenge you to be a part of one, but I also want to be honest about it. Because we released last week this outpost guide that you can get out in the lobby. It talks about what it looks like to start one of the three types of outposts that we have here, including our micro churches. But if we're honest, I want you to picture what does what real Christian community look like to you? You're probably, if I think about like what is real community, it's like we love each other and we sit around and we sing kumbaya and what we're going to do in heaven, it looks like that on earth the problem is we're not in heaven yet did you know that let me tell you why most of you will not do anything of what I'm saying today because real Christian community is sometimes messy and dirty and ugly and sometimes some people actually annoy you hallelujah yes thank you some, some of the people you might even get into a rooted group with or a microchurch with, you won't even you may have struggled loving them, but you're not even sure if you like them. Because this side of heaven, the Bible teaches us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is perfect and we struggle, and real relationships are incredibly hard. By the way, did you know that's not just an American problem? That is a human problem. The early church throughout the Roman Empire struggled with it and the Apostle Paul writing to the house churches in Rome is struggling with similar issues. So I'm going to invite you right now, open up your Bibles or turn to the one in your book rack to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. You ready to study God's word? Come on, let me give you the context here. So if you read the first 11 chapters of the the letter to the Roman church, you will probably see this theological treatise and think that's what that letter is really about. But if you start by reading the end first, Chapters 12 through 16, Scott McKnight actually has a book called Reading Romans Backwards, a little plug there. But if you start there, you'll realize that this is really a pastoral letter talking about the human issues and conflict that they're having in their house churches in Rome, that they're struggling, getting along with each other, treating each other well, and there's conflict that's occurring. And so Paul writes this in Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another unless they're annoying. (laughs) Let's make sure we're all tracking here. This is real. It's not easy. Harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How many of you can honestly say that you're at peace with everyone in your life from the last 20 years? No, I don't think so. Right? So if we're we're going to be real, we have to at least admit that what we're going to study this morning in Romans 12, none of us really do. And there is a reason that most Americans, particularly within suburban culture, where we get our little McMansions and we build our little fences in our backyard so that we can isolate ourselves and void all of human creation because it's difficult living in real relationships. That just me? See, isolated Christianity where we've received salvation, we're going to heaven when we die and then we just want to avoid all the problems of the world until we get there is not actually the way the New Testament teaches us to live. It goes on, it says, verse 20, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Real Christian community is honest about the problems and heads, uh, goes head first into those issues to bring healing and reconciliation and it may feel hard and like a bother, and you're going to have to give up a lot to do it. There is a cost. But on the back end, the blessing of real community is what we're missing in our culture so often. I'm going to talk about that. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that all these people came out in the middle of the first snow of the year or the winter. And I, just, I pray, God, that we, we make good use of this short time we have together. I know at least one or more people are getting baptized at the end of this service. I wonder if there's somebody else here that you're calling to do that. and just hasn't taken that step yet. But a pause and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here in the rooms and homes of people online. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us, to our mind and to our soul, and that we might change and become more like you, Jesus, because of it. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. See, I was uh, thinking about the last year and a half and how the pandemic caused many people to become even more isolated and alone than ever before. And I thought, you know what, I wonder what the result of that really is, because maybe that's just in my head. And I found this study from a, a Harvard study done in the last year that gave these statistics, and it didn't just blow my mind, it, it hurt my soul. It says that in this recent Harvard study, that 36% of Americans consider themselves seriously lonely. 36% of all adults consider themselves not like a little bit lonely from time to time, but seriously lonely, which means that over a third of this room and those online feel seriously alone right now. One of our core values as a church is unified community. We use this phrase to describe it, that no one should ever be alone. That we're called as the local church to be the hope of humankind, to be there for people in need. By the way, if you look at specific demographics, it actually gets worse, that in the 18 to 25 year old bracket, young adults in the room or online, over 60% of them in this particular Harvard study in the last year and a half said they were seriously lonely. 51% 51% of moms of young children, which there's a lot of those around here, consider themselves seriously lonely, that over half of the young moms here this morning feel alone. And our response to that in our human nature is to try and escape the reality that we live in and to avoid it. Maybe it's in simple ways, you avoid it with all kinds of apps or you watch Netflix or you read books to kind of escape from reality in and of themselves. Those are not sinful, but the pattern of using that to avoid the problems in your life could be problematic. In more extreme cases, many of us even turn to other things to evade reality by getting into drugs and alcohol. Do you know that 13% of Americans during the pandemic have either started or increased a uh, drug addiction because of what we've been enduring and in, in the isolation we've been experiencing? And the solution to both of these problems of the loneliness and the drug abuse in our culture, sociologists, not just theologians or biblicists, would agree the the answer, the solution to those problems is community. That when people have real relationships that's with you when you're going through your junk and you can talk to about stuff and how you, you want to, you know, give in to your habits and hangups, that you want to avoid, that you feel all alone, that you're afraid to get vulnerable and enter into community. Like when you're honest and have people in your life that actually share those difficulties with you, not only does this life easier to endure, you stop trying to escape and run away from it. So what we're talking about this morning matters. But there's a reason that most of us never experience that type of amazing community, the greatest team the world has ever seen, right? The reason is because it's hard and we don't wanna do it. It's like this, like my, uh, my boys, you know, if, I remember my, my one that's in seventh grade now when he was like four years old, I was like, Jake, he's just starting to get into basketball. You wanna get good at basketball? Yeah, like how good do you wanna be? Like, I'm gonna play in the NBA, Dad. Not sure that's in your genetics, but like, let's just pretend for a second. And, I said, well, then if you're going to play in the NBA, you're going to have to spend a lot of time, work hard, and you're going to have to start by learning how to dribble. I already know how to dribble, Dad. I don't need to practice. Right? And then he'd take it and he'd dribble like two times, dribble it off his foot and be like, see, see? And I think that some of us in community, we're like, I don't need community. I don't need to get vulnerable. I don't need to work hard. I'm, I'm, I'll just be honest, it's myself right here. You're talking to someone who is a man who does not like to talk about his feelings. Anybody with me? And, and in fact, on uh, the Enneagram scale, which I'm not sure if that's of Jesus or not, but like I tell you, uh, I'm an A apparently on the Enneagram, which means that people don't like me, but it also means that <laughs> like I have trust issues and I don't like to open up to people and I'd rather just, you know, get cynical and criticize. And so... I'll tell you, I'm right there with you. This stuff is real hard, and I don't want to have to work on it. It's like when my kids come to me and like, hey, how are you gonna do in school this year? Great, I want to get all A's. You're gonna get all A's? Well, you're probably gonna to have to do all of your homework assignments, study for every testing quiz, and prepare yourself, and then also pray in addition to that. Well, I'll pray, but I'm not doing the rest of that. I figure I'll just attend class most of the time, occasionally pay attention, show up, take the tests, and everything will work out fine. It's not how it works. So if you're sitting around going, why don't I have community? I wish I had somebody in my life. And it's like we look to blame God or blame other people or blame the local church. Well, what we need to do is take a moment, look and reflect on our own life and go, there's a reason that my life is like this. I've had to do this in my own life. There is a reason if your spouse is the only person you could talk to about anything going on in your life, there is a reason for that. And so we got to acknowledge that if we want real community, there is a cost associated with that. To follow Jesus, there's a cost. You have to give up your very life. But to have community, you're going to have to give up some other things. The word cost literally means the amount that has to be paid or obtained. What you have to give up in order to achieve that. And if you're going to have a real Christian community, you're going to have to live a little differently and give some things up. The first cost of community, number one, if you're taking notes, is to approach others with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's that one person at your outpost that like chews with their mouth open occasionally when you're all eating and like you just, that's all you can hear. You can't hear anything else. You know what I'm talking about, right? It makes it hard to actually enter in community because you can't, you see all the problems. So when Paul writes to the church in Rome, love must be sincere. You're going to have to deal with the things that are driving you nuts about each other hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. To honor somebody else above yourself means to be more concerned about what they're going through, to look in the mirror first and acknowledge, I have my own hang-ups and problems. In fact, you're not, one of the things you need to understand, you're not perfect, so don't demand it of others. (laughs) And sometimes in our lives, if you feel like I, I don't need to work on anything, they need to work on anything, you're, you're probably going to miss what the Lord is doing. You're not perfect, so don't demand it of others. So what it says, uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That Paul, the apostle that wrote a lot in the New Testament, starts churches all over the Roman Empire, way more spiritual and closer to Jesus than us, right? Like he just loves the Lord so much. He's been saved for so many. He says, I am the worst of sinners. He acknowledges that I got to look at myself, look in the mirror first before I jump to judgment of others. Romans 7, verse 18, earlier in this letter, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You can't help others if you don't have the humility of yourself that leads to genuine love and sincere care for each other. Ooh, I'm going to tell you, this thing's super important. I don't know what it is. Like in Christian community, because we desire holiness, right? You'd agree it's a good thing to be holy, to live in the way that God wants us to live, to give up our lives, to not get into drugs and alcohol and not live and All types of promiscuity and to love, like it's a good thing to become, purify ourselves, refine ourselves that we sang about earlier and become holy. Unfortunately, though, in some Christian cultures, we take that holiness and we turn it into judgmentalism. Those things are not the same thing. We are called to holiness, but not so that we could judge our brother and sister in Christ. Jesus actually speaks directly against that. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure uh, you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Some of you got that big log sticking out of your eye, and you're talking about the little speck of dust in your spouse's eye. Look in the mirror, not the magnifying glass. Instead, verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye Whoa, man now if you've ever been hurt by a church or a christian community a lot of times things like this can occur i remember uh when i was in southern california leading this young adult ministry we had this one young adult who he had done some really bad stuff spent a little time in jail hurt some people really bad deserved to go to jail Came to church after uh, a year or two after that incident and was out of jail, heard the good news of Jesus, repented of his sin and his wrongdoing, like surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus, bawling his eyes out, couldn't believe, so remorseful of everything that had happened. He began to go, I just want to serve other people. He began volunteering in the ministry, just meeting needs, doing stuff that no one else would do just to like surrender and take a lowly position and serve others before himself. And eventually he became an usher on our our volunteer team. And he ended up becoming the head usher of a young adult community at a church in Southern California. And I had this other young man come to me and say, hey, I don't think that guy should be the head usher. He's in a leadership role. And a couple of years ago, he did this really bad thing. I was like, yeah, that's true. I sat there and watched him cry and pray and receive Christ, saw his changed actions and begin to live differently. And I would say, why are you looking at his sin from two years ago instead of looking at the sin in your life right now? Because the judgmentalism, holiness is a good thing, but when it turns to judgmentalism of turning to other people and not seeing what Christ is doing in their lives, we're actually the ones that are sinning in that moment and causing the problems in the relationships. And I told him it would be better that we actually cater to this guy's spiritual growth and allow you to continue to live in your sin. If you're here and you're struggling, we want you to know this is a safe place and we want to love you well. We're going to call you to holy living and to live out a life change, but I want to tell you we don't want to live hypocritically in a hypercritical culture. So often we live hypocritically saying one thing and treating people another way. And I say that's so important because as someone who can be critical sometimes to not see the, the, the plank in my own eye, and I, it seems like they've got the plank, and I've just got the speck of dust, and I'm not even sure that dust is really there, right? Anybody with me? Like, you have to pause for a moment and acknowledge that we have sin, and we need to change and, and that this doesn't just matter for our own spiritual life, or even the other person, but when we live judgmentally and hypocritically and hypercritical, culture, we're actually teaching the next generation of followers of Jesus to do the same thing. And Jesus said, "They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our judgment." He, he's the great judge. And so I was, I was thinking about this and just how we pass on things to the next generation coming up that whether we like it or not, we are discipling our kids in the next generation. We're either discipling them in the ways of Jesus or in the ways of society and culture. And so when we teach our kids, they hear us talking about people, gossiping and being critical of other people. We're literally teaching our children to do the same thing when they grow up. That said, I'm going to show a really quick video. It's only 30 seconds long. I mainly just think this is funny, probably funnier than you do, and so that's why I wanted to show it. But you'll see that the way we teach our kids and even if we're teaching them the wrong things, they're gonna learn it, pick it up, and do it for the rest of their life. Let's watch this together. Find it? Yeah. All right, another one, just like that. Right in the old bucket. Good toss. See, that's much better. That was good. You had your shoulder pointed, you kept your eyes on your target. Let's do it again, watch me. <sighs> Just like that one. The durability of the Volkswagen Passat. <clears throat> Pass down something that right. he will be grateful for. Good arm. That's the power of German engineering. Back to you. I'm going to be honest. I think that is way funnier than it probably is. I'm just picturing that kid for the rest of his life doing it because that's what dad taught him to do. Some of us. We've been teaching our kids the wrong way to do relationships and to deal with conflict for generations. And they're just passing it on down the rest, throwing their criticism and judgmentalism at people, and they're gossiping, they're just thinking that's just normal. We live this way at church on Sunday, but when we're home alone, we live a different way. If we're going to have the type of community that we read about in the New Testament, it's got to look different. Number two, if you're taking notes, the cost of community means you have to do the next hard thing. You to step into that hard thing to change those habits, to change the way that we've done community in the past, to enter back into Christian community, the local church after years of being angry, to open ourselves up, to get vulnerable again. Look at verse 14. This is how hard this is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Well, that's not that big a deal. No, no, no. Wait a second. These are house churches in Rome. Where Christianity won't be the official religion of the Roman Empire until 325 AD. This is written in the 50s to 60 AD. It will be like a generation or two before the Roman Christians will be burned at the stake for following Jesus. So when Paul tells them to bless those who persecute you, it's very real. It's incredibly difficult, it's super hard. You have to do the next hard thing in real Christian community. It's part of the cost of having the blessing of community is to bless those who even persecute you. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You ever find, maybe this is me, people who are going through hard stuff, and you're already having enough struggles in your own life, and you're tired and exhausted, and you're like, it'd just be easier to avoid their problems because I don't want to bring their problems into my life, then they become my problems, so I just avoid that real community, and I don't mourn with those who mourn because I just would rather not deal with that. And that's why we find ourselves without real community who mourn with us when we're going through those things. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I didn't say this at the other services, but if you're ever going to have a real Christian community too, you have to you have to also love people who have uh, different political opinions than you, come from different cultural backgrounds than you. You you have to love people that like you, it's really hard for you to do that and socioeconomically come from a different status and you typically in culture wouldn't hang out with them but you're in the local church and so God calls everyone of all walks of life to love and live together in community. It's gonna come at a cost. You gotta have to do the next right thing even when it's hard. Verse 18, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, everyone. Yeah, but what about so-and-so and what they did and the everyone. Now here's the, here's the trick. Right? If somebody is unrepentant, if someone isn't acknowledging their own humility, you don't have to not set up healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that. But if there's someone that really wants reconciliation, the Lord calls us to live in that type of community. You may think that's really hard. Let me give you an example of somebody who lived this out in a way I can't even imagine. Anybody familiar with the story of Louis Zamperini? Uh, Louis was an Olympian. Uh, many decades ago who went to World War II, not a Christian, and was taken into a Japanese internment camp where he and his uh, friends were tortured for for a very long time. And after all the time in that internment camp being tortured by his captors, including the, the head who was one of the great war criminals of World War II, that they referred to him as the bird who ran for the rest of his life to evade uh, prosecution for what he did that Louis was in that camp and and he and another guy finally escaped they got onto a raft and they found themselves in the pacific ocean and somebody uh, a ship came by and found them and saved their life and while he was on that raft and no one was in sight uh, Louis prayed he wasn't a Christian but he said God if you are real I will serve you for the rest of my life so what did he do he went back to his wife I got a picture of them as a, a young couple he went back to his wife And the next two and a half years, never followed God. Instead, he was having nightmares almost every single night about what he had endured and the captors that he had experienced. He was angry and angry and angry and angry at the people who had hurt him. He would escape to alcohol as a means of not dealing with the reality of what he had endured. And his wife finally said, enough is enough, enough you either are going to go to this uh, Christian event that is in town or we're no longer going to be married. And he went to this event. There was this young guy in town who was going to preach who no one had ever heard of. His name was Billy Graham. And Billy preached at this event, and Louis sat in the very back of the, the huge area. I don't know if it was a tent or a stadium, but he sat in the back, and in that moment when Billy presented the good news of Jesus Christ and the redemption, the reconciliation that came with it, he began to cry and he surrendered his life to Jesus and he repented of his sin and his anger and the promise he had made two and a half years ago and that he he hadn't lived it out. And he received salvation. And this was his own words in a later interview, much, much later in life. He would go on to be a 97-year-old man who passed away a few years ago. We got a picture of him. And uh, they made a movie that Angelina Jolie directed in 2014 before he had passed away called Unbroken. You could watch it. It, it really is a beautiful uh, movie. But it's a real story of what he really lived out. And after God changed him, in that moment, he found himself no longer angry at his captors anymore. And that night, I saw in this interview, he said, for the first time, he, he went and he actually, he prayed and he received Christ, and he never had a nightmare again about his captors the rest of his life. And that doesn't happen for everybody. Yeah, but it, it, it's incredible what the Lord can do when we open ourselves up to reconciliation. And then here's the thing. He didn't just reconcile himself with God. He reconciled himself with others. The, the captors eventually, many decades later, he met a number of them and got to forgive them face to face. He carried the Olympic torch into Nagano, Japan in 1998 for the Winter Olympics. He was somebody that got to actually live out reconciliation to bless those who had persecuted him, to do the next hard thing, to bring a stored relationship. It didn't come easy. We had to do Ephesians 4, 15, speaking the truth in love. We grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So to be mature in Christ means that we have to begin to turn to write our relationships with other people and with God. The third and final point I want to share is you do the next hard thing. You're going to have to respond to evil with good. See, in Romans 12, beginning in verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To overcome evil with good means like Louis Zamperini. You're able to forgive and reconcile even with the most hurting people, even with the people who have harmed you and hurt you in the the greatest way that you desire that. And by the way, not always at your pace and on your watch, but on their pace and their watch, being willing to heal slow enough that you can actually see reconciliation occur the Bible tells us that we will know we are Christians by how we love one another. And guys, just, just a sec. I, I want to read this last passage, and it's going to take me a little while to get this out. Because I think somebody needs to hear this this morning. In John chapter 13, Jesus demonstrates what it's like to live this out. It says in the first five verses of John 13 that at this meal, this last meal with his disciples, He's sitting there with all 12, including Judas Iscariot, that's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And he's going to be crucified on a cross because of this man and the way he's going to harm him. And the night before all of that occurs, it says he takes out his otter garment, he gets super vulnerable. Takes out his outer garment. He takes a towel and puts it around his waist. And the the Son of God, God incarnate, the Savior of the world, gets down on his knees and with that towel uh, washes the feet of these young men who weren't wearing brand new sneakers. They didn't have their Air Force Ones on. They had open-toed sandals with filthy dirt with no hygiene or soap caked on there. And the Savior of all humanity humbled himself enough down on a knee to clean the feet of these teenage boys. Because he was going to teach them how to serve one another. And then John 13, at verse 12, later in that chapter, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. What's it look like to have real community in a micro church? To live on mission, a family on mission for all the rest of the life the Lord has given you on this planet? It means that you're going to get vulnerable, take off that outer robe occasionally, get down, get your hands dirty a little bit, wash each other's feet spiritually speaking. Enter into the dirty parts of our life, the messy parts of our life, and be willing to serve one another, not judging them. You could sit there and say, "Judas, you're going to betray me. I'm never washing your feet." You could spit on his feet. But instead he chooses to wash his feet, to clean him, to be there for him, to love even the hardest person in that room to possibly love. Verse 15, I set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very, I truly, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That you will have the blessing of relationships with each other and God will use your life if we love each other that way. To get vulnerable, to get into the dirt of our lives, to be honest about that drug addiction, to be honest about the alcohol problem, to be honest about your marriage and the struggles, to be honest about your, your kids, or your grandkids, or your parents, or your grandparents, to be honest about the things that the baggage of your past and the, the messed up relationships you've had, to acknowledge the s- sexual sin in your life, to repent of the things that you're dealing with and let iron sharpen iron, encourage, challenge one another that's real community. It's not easy. It's hard. You got to respond to evil with good. Sometimes say the enemy's not going to win in my life. I'm going to allow him to use me in real community, but you're going to have to give up some stuff. It's going to take you giving up your time and your energy and your prayer, and then pray some more and some more and some more and your compassion and your love and invite healing and so much more in real authentic community. It's going to come at a cost. It's going to be hard, not easy, but it's worth it. The blessing of community of God in your life and others, it's very real. And I'll end with this example. Last week, we had an event in here that I didn't know about until it was like 24 hours beforehand. We didn't share it anywhere online uh, publicly, but individuals just shared it, posted a couple of things. And some of you know that Pastor Shalonda and James Cheatham, uh, their 15-year-old daughter, Kara, was diagnosed with sarcoma and has been battling uh, cancer and is in the hospital. One person said... Christian communities got to love people in our family and so they they called people to come and I thought there'd be like a small group here and there was like 80 or 90 people that just showed up on, I forget what it was, Tuesday night or something and we just battled back spiritually praying and worshiping in the middle of this thing that nobody wants to endure Tears were shed. We were celebrating the work of the Lord and how he's going to bring healing in Kara's life. And we're calling on him and inviting him into every single space and aspect. And I walked away going, oh my goodness, that was one of the most beautiful examples. It was supposed to go an hour. It went almost two because people were just there to love Kara. And then I began to realize that very few human beings have that type of community. And more people need it. You need it. We need to stop living isolated lives just going to heaven one day and thinking this life doesn't really matter. I just need to survive. I want to tell you, when you have real community, when you enter into the hard parts of life and God uses that community to change your life and to change the life of others, that love spills out everywhere. You can't stop it. And there are people in this world, 51% of young moms, 60% of 18 to 25 year olds, 36% of all adults in American culture, 13% of people are turning to a addiction because they're so extremely lonely in our culture. And the solution to those problems is real Christian community which really is the local church which is not just the worship service. The community that Jesus is talking about in John 13, that he demonstrates to us, it happens in the home with just this 12 people, and you need real community in the home to get into conversations and deal with the real stuff of life that you can't do in a passing conversation two minutes out in the lobby here, and if you don't get that, you're going to miss out on this great gift that the Lord wants to bless us with, so we don't have to live like the rest of everybody else. We are designed to commune with God and commune with other people. It was not good for Adam to be alone. It is not good for us either. Let's pray. God, I just pray right now, Jesus. I know that there are people in this room who are attending online who are so alone. And we don't even want to admit it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it up. We harden ourselves. We push people away because we're so afraid of dealing with those emotions and feelings. And God, we declare that will not be the case any longer. We pray right now, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would break through the callousness of which we've created around ourselves as human beings, that your love might invade every aspect and space of our lives and that we might enter into real community. If you want that type of community that's there for you and your lowest of your lows, pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, first of all, I repent because I've been trying to do life without that type of community. I invite your Spirit in I surrender my life to you. I invite new relationships in, God. May I make the time and the energy and be vulnerable enough, even if the kids have homework occasionally, to still go and have real relationships with other breathing human beings, God. Because I need it. I give you my life. I give you every aspect of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's family said, amen.